Support for the Double Dome podcast comes from the Sorrell College of Business at Troy University, where students become geeks, an acronym for globally aware, ethical decision makers, engaged with the business community, knowledgeable to compete, and successful in business and life. More information at troy.edu business. The opinions expressed on this program represent the viewpoints of individual authors or contributors and do not necessarily reflect those of Troy University. This is eConversations, a joint production of Troy Trojan Vision and the Manuel H. Johnson Center for Political Economy. Now, here's your host, Dr. Dan Sutter. Hello and welcome to eConversations. I'm your host, Dr. Dan Sutter of the Johnson Center for Political Economy at Troy University. Cryptocurrency exchange FTX and its founder, Sam Bankman-Fried, came roaring out of nowhere in 2018 with celebrity endorsements from the likes of Tom Brady and Larry David and the naming rights to an NBA arena. And then just as abruptly, FTX collapsed and into bankruptcy in November 2022. Is this what we should expect from a cryptocurrency firm, since after all, cryptocurrencies are, are ultimately nothing more than computer code? As a tale of greed, the narrative seems a little misplaced because Mr. Bankman-Fried was a vocal proponent of effective altruism, who claimed he was making money just to give it away. What do, lessons does the collapse of FTX hold? And just what exactly is a cryptocurrency exchange after all? Joining me on eConversations today is uh, a regular guest, Mr. Peter Earle, an economist with the American Institute for Economic Research. Mr. Earle studied engineering at the U.S. Military Academy and then earned graduate degrees in economics and finance and worked on, in finance for 20 years before joining AIER. So I often turn to Pete for insight in world, on events in the world of finance and commodities. Welcome back to the show, Pete. Great to be again. Well, let's just start with a little bit of uh, history here so that people know exactly uh, who might have just heard glancingly or, or, or offhand about FTX. Tell us a little bit about the company and, and its uh, I guess very no first very famous uh, 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 founder and now a sort of infamous founder, the, the, the Sam Bankman Fried. Sure. So all of this starts with a, I mean, uh, with, with a, a hedge fund called Alameda Research, which was formed in 2017 by a number of traders and analysts who left an obscure hedge fund called Jane Street. Um, Alameda's involvement in crypto started with a focus on arbitrage. Um, in this case, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried and a few of his associates uh, were focusing on arbitrage in Bitcoin, which means looking at the very same Bitcoin in different markets mm -hmm. uh, with different prices. If you can trade them uh, at different prices, and as long as your clearing costs and your uh, foreign exchange conversions aren't too high, you can make money. So they got very good at that. And then over time, they per purchased uh, the assets of a handful of other crypto firms. And at one point, they decided to start an exchange. Um, FTX followed in May or June of 2019, and then with a series of acquisitions and some venture capital investments, grew to be to uh, roughly about uh, valued at about 32 billion dollars in January of 2022. And so, uh, so let's talk a little bit here about cryptocurrency. So let's uh, remind our, our viewers because they might have heard of Bitcoin. We've talked about, had some shows on Bitcoin before, but. Let's be clear, you know, like what exactly is a cryptocurrency? And then, you know, like what would exactly a, a cryptocurrency exchange uh, uh, be involved with? 
Sure. So a cryptocurrency is essentially a digital currency. But what makes it different than many others is that the transactions uh, are, are recorded uh, in a decentralized encrypted format called a public blockchain. Mm -hmm. What that means is that um, there are many, many remote uh, firms that are basically running the transactions. They're called miners. And it's very hard to shut down uh, because it's uh, because there's many different uh, decentralized uh, servers, uh, whether they're owned by people or by universities, they're taking part in uh, recording those transactions. And, and then Bitcoin can serve as sort of a medium of exchange, a way for people to uh, make make payments to each other, whether next door or across the globe, right? Yeah, Bitcoin functions essentially as a medium of exchange, which is, of course, one of the functions of money. Uh, the other is store value and unit of account. Uh, it doesn't, especially store value, it doesn't do very well. Unit mm -hmm. of account would take a very long time to do. Um, but there are, now there, there are thousands, probably tens of thousands of other cryptocurrencies, some of which are, are, are cryptocurrencies by that strict definition, some of which are mere tokens. And uh, the, uh, the, the crypto environment, the crypto ecology is vastly more complicated than it was even 10 or 11 years ago. Mm -hmm. and, and so then, you know, you, you mentioned their cryptocurrency exchange. I mean, I, I guess I remember visiting once the, the Chicago Commodities Exchange. So well, what, what's involved with a, a cryptocurrency exchange? Yeah, so FTX was a financial exchange similar to a stock exchange. There are many others as well, um, although it's obviously virtual. There's no physical trading floor. Uh, but in other words, the function is basically the same as you'd find with a stock exchange or a commodities exchange, options exchange. It's a location where individuals can buy and sell cryptocurrencies uh, and other instruments. But what's, what's different about uh, exchanges in the crypto world is that most of them double as brokerages as well. So in the, in, the, in the regular world, you would have your money at a brokerage and you would say, I want to buy 100 shares of Coca-Cola. And that brokerage would be a member of the stock exchange. They would do that transaction. Cash would go out. Stock would come in and go to your account. Mm -hmm. But uh, in, in many cases, these crypto exchanges are also the brokerage firm. So your money and your positions are stored right at the exchange. Okay. Now, you mentioned the... the that uh, Sam Bankman-Fried and his uh, colleagues got busy, started sort of like uh, arbitraging these uh, uh, different prices of Bitcoin. And, and that's an important function in economic markets as well, because we, they're starting Absolutely. to bring those prices together so that you have like one, uh, one consistent price across different uh, markets for this same commodity or same uh, currency. Right, yeah. No, I mean, it increases market efficiency, lowers costs, and uh, it also, you know, it, it makes a, uh, like so much of economics, it makes um, uh, sort of a, uh, it makes a, 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 an inconvenient or a, a negative point a profitable one, which is those differences, those slippage uh, elements that occur between markets become profitable. So there's an incentive for traders to go out there and try and hammer them out, which means that the cost for, of, of a Bitcoin, in this case, could be a stock, could be anything else, could be a commodity. The cost of a Bitcoin in the U.S. versus in Korea is, is, is at a minimum versus where it would be without arbitragers mm -hmm. trying to uh, make money off of those differences. So, so far, although, I mean, uh, sort of high tech or new in some different ways. It's also a, a, a relatively familiar function here for uh, in the world of economics and finance. And it's sort of how, how we're seeing a, a market come into existence and become more efficient and uh, you know, ultimately help people uh, make transactions better. But then, then things went, uh, like I said, uh, in, in the beginning of 2022, uh, FTX was estimated to be worth over $32 billion. 
and then it all came crashing down. And it seems like that there was, uh, you know, some, I guess, some old-fashioned uh, mis uh, misdeeds going on here, weren't there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a number of them uh, we can get into, and some of it has to do with, uh, really, one of the sources has to do with the FTT token. Mm -hmm. which was essentially, there's, there's not a lot of equivalence of tokens in the crypto world, in the uh, regular uh, securities world, although they sort of, uh, they sort of emulate, um, my light just went off, sorry. <laughs> they sort of emulate, um, they sort of emulate equities or something like that. So okay. uh, FT, FTT was the FTX token. And um, the role of FTT was not only to add to firm, it wasn't intended to add to firm capital, but the original idea was that customers who bought FTT were kind of showing they had a, had a vested interest in the exchange. And in so doing, they could lower their transaction costs. So if you were a large holder, or at least a substantial holder of FTT tokens, you would trade for a lower level. And sort of that's also a way of sort of um, adding capital to the firm and uh, making yourself a more important, say, user of the uh, service. So that was uh, that was the initial idea, but it wound up taking sort of a negative turn as the amount of FTT tokens began to become a substantial portion of the firm's overall capital. And, and FTT was a that token that you said FTX uh, themselves uh, uh, put out, and and right. that was a part of that was a part of this whole. Uh, uh, situation or scheme or depending on how you want to yep. put it. Um, I mean, I guess uh, when uh, FTX went into bankruptcy, they appointed a gentleman named John Ray to oversee it. And, and uh, <laughs> uh, in, in his earlier career, I know he uh, supervised the uh, bankruptcy of Enron. And and uh, Mr. Ray made a statement to the effect that never in his career he had ever seen such a failure of, of corporate controls or like a complete and total lack of trustworthy uh, information. So although initially I, I think uh, uh, Sam, Mr. Sam there was trying to spin this as they simply got caught in some fluctuating uh, current, you know, cryptocurrency markets, these are, have been very volatile. It seems like this was, there was some just old-fashioned fraud uh, involved here. Yeah, so, so all throughout 2022, as inflation began, I mean, inflation really started in early 2021, but in, in, in early 2022, you had inflation start to become a lot more evident to consumers. We mm -hmm. had the Russian invasion of Ukraine. We had high gas prices. And so what began happening is all of that, on top of the fact that we had three years of expansionary policies on the part of the Fed lifting up asset prices, we had this huge liquidation. And so while there's been a hope for a long time that cryptos would be sort of uh, inflation hedges because a lot of them are, their supply is algorithmically limited. Right. So like gold, whose virtue, you know, is that you can only pull so much out of the ground. Um, it was thought that cryptocurrencies would be an inflation hedge. Not at all the case. What we found it is in the general liquidation of assets, crypto gets thrown out as quickly as everything else. And so mm -hmm. throughout 2022, you had all these cryptos getting liquidated alongside equities, fixed income, or other instruments. And the FTT token was part of that. No, no if we can just expand on this a little bit, because I mean, that, that, I think that's a fairly important point. And uh, like with Bitcoin and other uh, cryptocurrencies, there's a computer program that really does limit the number of, of uh, Bitcoins that they'll ever be according to this program. And like you said, it's, it's stored on all these different computers, so it's very hard. Some people claim it's uh, unhackable, but I mean, you have this uh, very strict limit on the number of Bitcoins that there's going to be, 
and yet you also said they sort of like got caught up in this uh, uh, inflationary cycle, not because there was any inflation in Bitcoin, but simply because it was one of the many, I guess, investments that people were putting their money into uh, as the Federal Reserve was expanding the, the money supply. Is that, is that how, what was happening? Yeah, I mean, by the end of 2020, Bitcoin was absolutely running. And I mean, you know, a lot of new money was created. We're talking about Cantillon effects here, a lot of new money going into various financial markets. And Bitcoin was one of the main uh, beneficiaries of that. Uh, but that spread soon to many, many other tokens, many other cryptocurrencies, the whole ecology, the whole set of uh, tokens were running up in price. And uh, come early 2022, there was a rush to the exits and uh, everything got thrown overboard uh, pretty much at the same time. And so then, uh, I guess if people are trying to liquidate some of their, their positions in these, that, then that's going to drive down. Anytime you have a bunch of people trying to sell an asset, that's, this, I guess, simple supply and demand. A lot of people trying to sell is going to drive down the, uh, the value of the assets. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these markets don't have dealers. Mm -hmm. So basically, the only selling you can do is to people who are bidding. And what mm -hmm. happens when you have this precipitous fall in assets? Nobody's bidding. Right. You know, nobody's out there catching a falling knife. So what happens is these things fall until there are buyers. And many times that takes a while. I mean, in the case of FTX tokens, they fell well over 80 percent uh, in a short amount of time. And that was uh, that was a big that was a big part of the beginning. That was the beginning of the end, really, for FTX. And there's been some reports and, you know, obviously we're at a point now where I think we, we still don't absolutely know what happened. So you have to go a lot on, on what we see reporting and, and maybe, you know, two years from now or five years from now, there might be a different uh, uh, story on this. We might know some more facts right. that we don't currently have now. But it certainly seemed like uh, uh, FTX was manipulating the, the value of, of their FTT token. And, and then uh, if I understand properly, but after selling banks and other lenders on the value of this FTT token, borrowing against it, which allowed them to sort of like access that money. And then that, that's part of the money that has, has, that has disappeared here. Yeah, I mean, I mean if, I were, if I were to use an example, it would be like finding out what manufacturer makes a, uh, makes a, uh, makes a particular casino's chips and then making them and bring them to the window in exchange for cash. You know, mm -hmm. FTX really did two things. They created a lot more tokens, um, which is a simple, which is very similar to fiat, uh, fiat currency, uh, you know, central banking. Um, and they also borrowed against them. Yeah. And uh, what, what, I mean, two things happened. First of all, those, those, those FTT tokens fell precipitously in value, but right. also, when the, when the leadership of Binance, so just a quick, uh, I, I need to back up for one second. There's really two models of cryptocurrency exchanges that were sort of vying for uh, supremacy in terms of regulation. There's the exchange model, of which FTX was sort of the primary one. And then there's the Binance model, which is another firm that was sort of like a web-based one. And actually FTX and Binance as sort of the duopoly, the two major firms, that was sort of a friendly relationship. Mm -hmm. But what happened was Binance owned a lot of FTT tokens. And when, when Binance, when the Binance uh, uh, CEO, whose name escapes me at the moment, I remember it, when he found out that uh, SBF and the leadership of FTX were in Washington sort of advocating for themselves to be the regulatory model and for mm -hmm. themselves essentially to be the self-regulatory head. They dumped all of their 
uh, FTX uh, tokens, all of the FTT, and that really pushed the value down even more. And that's when uh, that's when things reached uh, the beginnings of a liquidity crisis within Alameda and within FTX. And there were also allegations that uh, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, I uh, think we've called him S SBF, because that's what he's been uh, referred to many times in the media, that, that SBF right. uh, had, I guess, borrowed or, or moved some investors' uh, account money from the exchange into his uh, Alameda Research hedge fund. And I mean, that would be, that, that's just not acceptable, right? I mean, that, that, that's just uh, that is, a, a complete and total violation of, of the rules, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's as bad as it gets. So mm -hmm. um, it was the fall in the FTT tokens and the liquidity crisis that led uh, to the discovery that most of the customer funds were either absconded or, or missing. Mm -hmm. And uh, so a lot of people have said that the FTX collapse is similar to Enron. I think it's correct on a on a, maybe a psychological or media level, but uh, you know, a huge attention grabbing uh, event. But I think it's more akin to a more obscure uh, crisis that occurred in maybe 2013. That's the 2011 to 2013. That's the MF Global debacle. Because in the MF Global debacle, it turned out that a, that a very large fund, a very large Wall Street firm was using customer funds to meet their corporate obligations. Mm. And there's a huge, and I mean a huge prohibition in financial markets on commingling customer right. and firm funds. Two basic things. Every customer's account, whether it's securities or cash, has to be kept separate. You can't have all customer accounts in a giant electronic pile, essentially. And the second thing is that you can never, ever, as a brokerage firm, use customer funds for any other purpose other than right. you know, if they want to wire, if they want to buy something. You can't use it to meet your bills. You can't use it to satisfy their obligations. And so uh, you know, the poor control is definitely part of it, but I think the senior people absolutely knew what was happening. And uh, what I don't think they knew is, I don't think they knew they were dead in the water. By yeah. the time uh, the FTX tokens were falling, there was no future for FTX. And, and so now um, uh, SBF has now been arrested and you know, there's charges against him. And, and certainly it seems like, you know, from, from what's been reported, this like commingling or, or absconding of uh, customer funds would, would clearly be illegal and, and something that they've be in a lot of absolutely. legal trouble for. Now, yeah, absolutely. Now, there, there's a, some more to the story that we haven't gotten into yet. And that is uh, especially... In the 2022 election cycle, uh, SBF was a major, major political don uh, donor. He gave millions and millions of dollars to uh, a lot of political candidates. I think over $5 million to uh, 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 President Biden. I guess that would have been back in 2020. But he, he's been giving mm -hmm. uh, millions and millions of dollars uh, to uh, politicians, uh, mostly Democrats, although a few uh, Republicans have gotten some money. And then, like, it's on the order of tens of millions of dollars of uh, donations to nonprofits, uh, again, mostly for, for progressive causes. So mm -hmm. that's another, because this gets into this uh, part that he, uh, that SBF was talking about, effective altruism. So uh, what, what's your take on this, uh, this, this other part of it? This, he's giving out all of this uh, money to, to politicians and, and then to uh, nonprofits. So, so effective altruism is basically a rebranding of basic 
philanthropy. Mm-hmm. It suggests, but 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 specifically in the case of effective altruism, there's a suggestion that there's this evidence-based process that involves calculating where your money will do the best and then giving it away uh, so it makes the biggest impact. And of course, uh, you mentioned the nonprofits. Uh, Sam Bankman-Fried had given a lot of money to climate change causes, things like that. But a lot of money was given, as you said, to political campaigns. It's uh, it's very difficult for me to see that as a, a manifestation of effective altruism. Mm-hmm. Those uh, those donations that he made were far more had far more to do with pending crypto legislation. Right. Um, as I mentioned, there's really two major models for cryptocurrency that were being uh, that were being pro- they're, they're being uh, sort of um, proposed in Washington. His his idea and his firm, FTX, sort of was the model of one of them. So that was the basis for spending heavily on those individuals in Congress and regulators. And um, yeah, I mean, to the extent that, I, I mean, so there are people out there who lost money in, uh, in, in FTX who now know that their, that their money was not only used in corporate purposes, but might have been used for political donations or for philanthropic uh, giving that's uh, you know, sort of uh, averse to their personal um, uh, you know, you know, beliefs. It's one, it's one thing if Sam Bankman-Fried made millions of dollars off of his uh, firm and then did that, but there's a good chance, in fact, I think it's probably beyond the shadow of a doubt now that he was using actual customer funds to promote right. those costs. Yeah, yeah, because I know that uh, uh, Mr. Ray is trying to go after the, the politicians who received some of this money, presumably because he has some evidence that that, that money actually belonged to the customers, and, and that's why he's trying to get that money back uh, in the bankruptcy process here. Uh, yep. Before we go on to regulation and re- lessons for regulation about this, let's, let's talk, mention a little bit about bankruptcy, the bankruptcy process here, because yeah. uh, FTX did go bankrupt, but, you know, if you don't follow bankruptcy, if you don't know what's involved legally and financially with bankruptcy, you might figure, well, once a firm declares bankruptcy, that must mean there's no money left at all. But it's actually a legal no, no. process to try to uh, uh, protect all of the creditors of a company where it looks like, yeah, they are not going to have enough money, but it doesn't mean that they don't have any money. They, don't, they simply don't have enough money to pay all of their, their, their creditors, right? Yeah, so colloquially, we use the term bankruptcy synonymous with, you know, insolvent or out of business, but that's not the case at all. Bankruptcy is essentially a legal status that a firm uh, applies for and can be given in court, and that gives it protection to the claims of its creditors and while while it reorganizes its debts. And, you know, without bankruptcy, what you would have is firms would, I mean, conceivably pick and choose the obligations they satisfy, those they don't not pay at all, that sort of thing. And um, there's also a concern about the about the pecking order of creditors, right? So secured creditors, which hold collateral, are supposed to be paid first, then general creditors, then the unsecured creditors, and then finally equity shareholders. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in my experience, which is between 20 and 30 years of actually being a trader or you know watching what was going on on Wall Street, um, there's usually nothing left for shareholders when that happens. But right. bankruptcy is a very important part of uh, the rationalization of uh, commercial processes, it's very important. And so, F- so FDX is currently, it's in bankruptcy reorganization. What will emerge, we don't know, mm-hmm. but at the very least, you know, we're now getting a clawback of funds and uh, right. those firms and others who uh, are creditors are getting at least some of what they're owed back. Yeah, and, and hopefully, you know, as, as this process goes on, and, you know, it's quite possible Mr. Ray's gonna find some of this money. I suspect that uh, SBF had had some of it hidden in in different places. It might be kind of hard to find, 
but uh, you know, if, if he can uncover any of it, figure out where any of it is, uh, I guess that, that, that money could eventually go back to some of the people who lost their money here. Yep. Yeah, that's the idea. I mean, we do know that SBF bought houses and cars for people, which is really unseemly. So mm -hmm. some of that will be clawed back in the process of bankruptcy. Now, we want to think, I want to turn now to some of the lessons for, for regulation about this. And one of the things that happened almost immediately after the scandal started breaking was the uh, Securities and Exchange Committee, uh, Commission and the uh, Commodities Futures Trading uh, Commission announced that they were going to investigate uh, FTX. And, you know, one right. question would have been, well, perhaps they should have, you know, where were they for the last several years before this when they might have uh, raised some red flags and, and maybe saved some of the, the people who had their money invested in, in uh, FTX, maybe could have saved them their money uh, before it got absconded with. So, uh, you know, what, what do you think about, should, they have, uh, should the SEC and others have acted earlier and like, you know, why weren't they? So, so we do know now, it came out after the FTX bankruptcy, that, uh, that there was an investigation at one point in the spring. Now, those investigations usually progress very slowly. We don't know exactly what they were investigating. But I think the, the bigger answer is that uh, the actual headquarters, the holding company of FTX, was a Bahama base, was, was incorporated in, the, in Antigua and based in the Bahamas. And that's essentially outside the jurisdiction of U.S. regulators. So okay. the U.S. subsidiary wasn't being investigated. Again, I don't know how much we know about that. But there's also the factor that the firm was super high profile in Washington. You know, when you have a, a firm that's doing Super Bowl ads and they put their names on an NBA arena and they have a $30 billion valuation, they're having cocktail meet and greets in the U.S. Capitol. The mm -hmm. fact is that they are really not setting off many alarm bells. There's this idea that they couldn't possibly be either uh, stealing money or doing something, uh, uh, you know, that, that that's that uh, below board uh, while being that high profile. But uh, and the and the and the political donations don't hurt. But mm -hmm. uh, that was the case. I think they were uh, hiding in plain sight, as it were. Yeah, yeah, because certainly, um, you know, I know SBF was appearing on on these very high profile panels, like you know, with with Bill Clinton and, and other some of the most distinguished. Right. Uh, uh, people across the country, or across the world, really, yep. and, um, and and was even appearing at some events after the uh, uh, bankruptcy, but before he was arrested, which I think he was arrested about a month or so after the uh, yep. mm -hmm. the the implosion there. Yeah, it was astounding. I mean, he was uh, he was on some New York Times panel, uh, uh, you know, weeks afterwards, and there were people saying this guy. You know, uh, there, there were many people who uh, were common people who had made a lot of money in crypto. And now they're, you know, from rags to riches to rags in five years. Mm -hmm. They've lost everything. So uh, seeing him uh, seemingly escape the law, escape repercussions for some number of weeks afterwards, really left a bad taste in many people's mouths. But, I mean, there's also the side of it that there is a legal process. And, and uh, you, you know, we're, we're pursuing indictments or, or whatever. You do have to jump through some. Sure. Uh, le legal process there, and I think um, right. you know there were some uh, parallels, or some uh, people were uh, talking about the case of Bernie Madoff, who had run a fraudulent hedge fund that uh, blew up. But I, I believe in his case, when uh, when he was questioned about, it, he actually admitted, "Yeah, well, yeah, th this was a fraud." Uh, and, and of course, that makes yeah. it very easy to then go ahead and arrest him because he just like sort of admitted, uh, you know, what he was doing. 
there's some parallels between Madoff and SBF and FTX. I mean, so SBF and the and the FTX situation was not, as I understand it, at the point where it collapsed, a Ponzi scheme. They hadn't read, right. yet gotten to the point where they were soliciting donations and paying out, you know, depositors or people yeah. requesting their money. But there was very much a clawback uh, situation in the Madoff situation in the Madoff uh, case because just before. Um, uh, the $50 billion Madoff scam was discovered, he had paid out large bonuses to people. A number of people had been very fortunate to ask for their money back and got it. And the uh, bankruptcy uh, trustee said, we cannot allow that. We're going to take that money back. We're going to claw it back. And we're going to apportion it, you know, more uh, more equally among mm -hmm. uh, uh, claimants. So that was, uh, the, the, in that way, although the name was used a lot, in that way, the uh, FTX and the Madoff scandals are similar. Now, we've already mentioned that you, you, you mentioned how uh, FTX, you know, is a year or so, long before the, the, the blow-up happened, was trying to pursue uh, favorable regulation for its model of, of a cryptocurrency exchange. And yep. is that sort of like a bigger lesson here uh, uh, for regulation going forward, that many times, you know, we think you're going to have cons uh, regulation that's going to benefit consumers, but... The people who write the regulations are, are really sort of the insiders, and it's, uh, it's in some sense always going to be an insider game. Yeah, I think I think anybody who thought I mean, so there's a there's a very strong strain within cryptocurrency uh, fandom or cryptocurrency proponency um, of almost uh, utopianism, mm -hmm. and uh, what we saw here is that at some level. Uh, whatever cryptocurrencies represent, um, you know, a stateless money, whatever, as long as there are these businesses like these large exchanges and all that sort of thing, you're still going to have cronyism, you're going to have rent seeking and everything that we know from the more familiar businesses going back to railroads and before that. Yeah, well, it, it's uh, in some ways, cryptocurrency is completely brand new, but then there's also some uh, timeless lessons in, in finance. And, and, you know, I guess one of the, the uh, timeless lessons in finances. People are always trying to get their hands on other people's money. People so. are people. That's right. <laughs> well, thanks very much for coming on and joining us. And join us again next time for another eConversations. This has been eConversations, a joint production of Troy Trojan Vision and the Manuel H. Johnson Center for Political Economy at Troy University. Support for the Double Dome podcast comes from the Sorrell College of Business at Troy University, where students become geeks, an acronym for globally aware, ethical decision makers, engaged with the business community, knowledgeable to compete, and successful in business and life. More information at troy.edu business.